Merry Christmas Eve. My name is Adam, if we haven't met before, and it's great to have you with us tonight. If this is your first time with us, if someone's invited you along or dragged you along to church, we're really glad that you're with us tonight, and we hope you have a wonderful Christmas. You know, around this time last year, my son Jude was born. He arrived early on the 3rd of November. And I remember the date because it was a big day for me. I had a big job to do. I had a big role to play. I had a lot of responsibility on my shoulders. I had to make the birth announcement. Now, obviously, I'm joking. My wife was and is the hero of this story. In fact, I think there's a photo of me asleep in the delivery room. And and one of the midwives had even put a, a blanket over me. So, you know, it was a a tough night. But I was feeling the pressure. You know, I had to take a photo and make this goopy, squishy baby look cute. I had to remember all the details, height, weight, name. I had to write a caption that was witty and concise and meaningful. And then I had to post it to social media and, and coordinate the responses. It was a lot of pressure. I'm getting some roll of the eyes. Now, I wonder, what about you? Have you ever had to make a birth announcement? Now, obviously, social media has made it a little bit easier these days. My dad has told me that when we were born, he had to go to the hospital with a list of names and phone numbers, and then he had to find a phone and just make phone call after phone call. And of course, we go to all this trouble because we want to share the good news. We want others to know that the child we've been waiting for has arrived. And the reason I bring this up is because Christmas is about the birth of a child. And what we read a moment ago in Isaiah chapter 9 is kind of like the birth announcement. The passage began, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. God is announcing to the world through the prophet Isaiah thousands of years ago the arrival of a unique child, the birth of a special son. Now, obviously, every birth is special, but this child is unique. This child will change everything. This child will begin something that will never end. That's what we were told in verse 7. Instead of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, that's a fairly confident birth announcement, isn't it? If you're scrolling through Facebook, imagine you saw a birth announcement that said, brilliant violin player, outstanding marathon runner, and future CEO of Google. You're going to be a little bit skeptical and probably a little bit concerned for that child and the pressure that they're going to face. Because birth announcements don't generally list accomplishments because newborns, their accomplishments are generally eat, sleep, and poop. But this announcement is different because this child is unique. This announcement literally says that this child will save the world. This child will change everything for good and forever. There has never been a birth announcement quite like this one. And I wonder, what is your response to it? What is your reaction to it? 
You've probably heard these words before. These are some of the most well-known words in the Bible, and we, we read them most Christmases. But what is your response to them? I guess the question that we need to ask is, who is it referring to? Who is this birth announcement announcing? And it's Christmas, and you're in church, so you shouldn't be surprised that the answer is Jesus. You see, 700 years after Isaiah made this announcement, an angel appeared to a young girl named Mary and said this, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will reign over Jacob's descendants, another way of referring to the people of God, forever. His kingdom will never end. And so Jesus is the one promised by Isaiah 700 years earlier. Jesus is the child who changes everything. Jesus is the king who will reign forever. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is why Christmas is a time of great joy, because the promised child has arrived. And the question is, what is your response to this birth announcement? Now, for some of us, when we hear these words, we get excited by them, we're thankful for them, because they're meaningful to us. Others of us, though, are probably a little bit less interested We might scroll past them in our hearts and minds because we just don't see the relevance of them for our lives. This might even be true for some of us who are Christians. We believe these words in Isaiah 9, but we've heard them before, we've become familiar with them, and we don't recognize the value of them. In fact, it reminds me of a story I heard about a a man named Joshua Bell. Now, if you've never heard of him, Joshua Bell is one of the world's greatest violinists. To give you some perspective, back in 2001, Bell paid $4 million for a violin that was made in the 1700s. Tickets to see Joshua Bell average at about $300, can be as much as $800. And in 2007, Joshua Bell decided to go busking in Washington, D.C. So he put a cap on, he took his $4 million violin, and he went down to a metro station, and he began to play. Now, what happened? Well, I'm sure you can guess. Hardly anyone stopped to give money or to listen to Joshua Bell. In fact, of the 1,100 people that kind of walked past Joshua, only 27 gave him any amount of money, and only seven people stopped to listen for any amount of time. One of the world's greatest violinists playing a $4 million violin And hardly anyone recognized the value of what was in front of them. And this is the danger when it comes to Christmas and to Isaiah 9. We're familiar with these words, we've heard them before, and we don't recognize the value of what's in front of us. And it's my hope tonight to show you how this birth announcement changes everything. How it matters more than anything. It's my hope that in the midst of the busyness of this Christmas season, you might slow down to listen to the music, that you might recognize the value of what is in front of us. Because what is in front of us in this passage is incredibly good news for all people. Not just the person sitting next to you, not just the person who invited you, but the person sitting in your seat. I mean, this is a birth announcement that you don't want to scroll past or walk past. 
So what is the good news of Christmas according to Isaiah 9? What is the good news of this passage? Well, there are two truths that I want to pull out tonight that I think we can apply to our lives. Just two simple, powerful, life-changing truths. And the first is this. Isaiah shows us that this promised child who is to come, his arrival means that everything will turn out good. Everything will turn out good. Now, are you one of those weird people that like to know the end of the story before you even sit down to begin the story? So maybe you've got to know how the movie ends before you even watch the movie, or you've got to read the last page of the book before you even begin the book. I know someone like that. I'm not going to give you their name because they may or may not be my mother-in-law. And I don't want Christmas dinner to be a little bit awkward this year. But if that is you, you're in luck, because here in this passage, Isaiah tells us how the story of human history will end. He tells us where our world is headed, and it is glorious. He says, we are headed for a perfect place of perfect peace under the reign of a perfect ruler. Look at what he says, verse 6. He says, this promised child, he says, the government will be on his shoulders. In other words, this child who is to come, he is the one who will reign and rule over all things. We'll often say about someone, they've got the weight of the world on their shoulders. Well, this coming king will actually have the weight of the world on his shoulders, and it won't weigh him down. Instead, it will lift us up forever. Look at what Isaiah goes on to say in verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. David was an Old Testament figure. God made a promise to him that from his lineage would come the Messiah, the Savior. And Jesus comes from the line of David. And Jesus will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. In other words, this coming king will reign forever. And his kingdom will be a place of perfect peace and perfect justice. He will put an end to violence and abuse and oppression and war. His government will never be corrupt and he will never be voted out of office because he will reign forever. Now at this point, you may be a little bit skeptical. You may be thinking, really? A worldwide, never-ending reign of peace. A perfect ruler. A perfect politician. I mean, it's true, isn't it, whether rightly or wrongly, that politicians, government officials, they're not the most, or considered to be the most trustworthy people in our day. And so when we hear that Jesus will have the government on his shoulders, that he will reign and rule forever, we might be a little skeptical or unsure. And this is why Isaiah goes on to tell us the kind of ruler that he will be. He goes on to to give us a glimpse of Jesus' character. And he does it by applying four different titles to Jesus. This is what he says. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is who Jesus is. See, as the Wonderful Counselor, Jesus gives divine wisdom. As Mighty God, he gives divine protection. As Everlasting Father, he gives divine love and care. And as Prince of Peace, he will bring about divine reconciliation. Now, there have been some pretty significant birth announcements in history, but none bigger than this one. 
Because what Isaiah is claiming by applying these titles to this child, he is saying this coming king, this coming child, he is none other than God himself. I mean, these titles that Isaiah applies to Jesus, they can only rightly be applied to God. And what this means is that the coming of Jesus Christ into human history, it is none other than God writing writing himself into the story. Than God coming to us and for us and like us. I mean, if you've ever thought to yourself, I'd believe in God if he showed himself. The answer is he has. He's shown himself in Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. This is an absolutely staggering, astonishing, world-changing claim. I mean, if this is true, it changes everything. Let me just give two implications of this for you and for me. If Jesus really is mighty God and everlasting Father, then you can't just like him or admire him or tip your hat to him. I mean, the people in the Bible who saw and heard Jesus, they almost never reacted indifferently to him. They never just kind of shrugged their shoulders at him. When they realized what Jesus was claiming, they were either afraid of him and ran away from him, or they were furious with him and wanted to kill him. Or they bowed down and worshipped him. The claims that Jesus makes are too massive to be shrugged off or ignored. Either you have to run away from him, or you have to build your entire life upon him. There is no fence to sit on when it comes to Jesus. But this leads us to the second implication, which is this. If Jesus really is wonderful counselor, prince of peace, then you should want to know him and trust him and serve him. I mean, if Jesus really is God with us, then here's what it means. God knows what it's like to be us. God understands. I mean, when you go through something difficult, it's helpful to talk to someone who has been through what you're going through. And the claim of Christmas is that this is what God has done for us, that God has stepped into our shoes, that God has lived in our world, that God knows, that God understands, that God has suffered, that God has experienced what we experience. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Not look down on them, not scoff at them, sympathize with them. But the really good news of Christmas is that Jesus is not only able to sympathize with our weakness and our pain, but he has a plan to deal with it. Because he's also the Prince of Peace. And Jesus came to bring us peace with God, and he will one day come again to bring about his reign of perfect peace forever, where everything good and right will be restored, when every day will be better than the last. And so if you're one of those people that likes to know the end of the story before it begins, well, here you go. It's a perfect place of perfect peace under a perfect ruler. I guess the question is, well, how do I get in on this? How do I receive this? How do I become part of God's future? That leads us to the second and final thing. You see, the first point is that everything will turn out good. And the second thing is every good thing can be yours. 
you know, when Isaiah announces the birth of this child, he not only says to us a child is born, he also says to us a son is given. See, the coming of Jesus Christ into human history is a gift from God. This is why we give gifts at Christmas, because God has given us the ultimate gift. And this means if you want to know what God feels about you, look at what God has given to you. Don't look at your past. Don't look at your feelings. Look at the manger. Look at Christmas. Look at what God has given to you. He hasn't sent thunderbolts at you. He has sent his son for you. What greater gift could God possibly give to you? How much more profoundly could God show his love for you? That's what the Bible says in 1 John 4 verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And what did he do? And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, if you want to be made right with God, if you want to be part of God's glorious future, it's not about what you do or don't do. It's not about what you've done or haven't done. It's about what Christ has done for you. When Jesus went to the cross, he paid once and for all the penalty of our sin, our evil. And when he rose again, he defeated death, our most formidable enemy, on our behalf. And so when we place our trust in Jesus, rather than our record, rather than our goodness, rather than our self-righteousness, God forgives us and God accepts us, God takes hold of us and he never lets us go. And this great salvation is a gift. But here's the thing about some gifts. They can be hard to accept because they mean swallowing our pride. I mean, imagine it's Christmas morning and you open up your present and it's a dieting book. You open it up and inside is a voucher for a gym membership. Now, even if you did have to lose a little bit of weight, you probably want to throw the book at the person that gave it to you. Or imagine you get yourself in some financial difficulty and a friend offers to give you a large sum of money to help you get out of debt. To accept that gift will require you to swallow your pride. To accept some gifts means we need to admit that we need help. And there has never been a gift offered to us that requires us to swallow our pride as much as the gift of Jesus. Because to accept the gift of Jesus means that you have to admit that you don't have it all together. To admit that you're a sinner. To admit that you can't save yourself, you can only be saved by God's grace. And to hand over control of your life. Now, the truth is, that is descending lower than many of us want to go. And if we're honest, this is why many of us have resisted the claims of Jesus up to now. We're not willing to go that low. And yet, this is nothing compared to how low Jesus has gone for you and for me. The divine became human, the infinite became finite. The eternal became temporal. The giver of life submitted himself to death. Why? For you and for me. And the question of Christmas is, what about you? Are you willing to go low before God so that he might raise you to the heights of glory? 
is why Jesus came. He got down low to raise us up high. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Don't walk past this music this Christmas. Don't scroll past this world-changing birth announcement. It's good news of great joy for all people. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this gift that we have not earned, that we do not deserve, and yet you have freely given to us, the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, please don't allow our pride to stop us from receiving this gift. Please help us in humility to go low before you so that you might raise us up to heights of glory that are unimaginable. Lord, we receive what you've given to us in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.